There are some people that just have it when it comes to business. Harry Hugo is definitely in that class of people. At the age of 23, Harry is running one of the most prestigious influencer marketing companies in the UK and maybe even the world. Even though he is only a young man, Harry has been working from a young age and has already held some huge roles in other organisations before creating his company, The Goat Agency. Influencer marketing has become a crucial factor in how a business markets itself. If you have your own business and you're looking to take it up a notch, maybe this is the episode for you to get your ears around. Harry is a seriously impressive guy and his story is one that backs up the idea that without hard work, talent may never get you anywhere. I actually had a meeting with another co-founder of the GOAT agency, Nick Cook, in the midst of my darkest periods in the hope of getting a job there. At that stage of my life, I would never in a million years have hired me. Seeing how much enthusiasm and hunger Nick had for his business was a huge moment. All I knew at the time, after the meeting, was that I wanted that same enthusiasm for what I was doing in life. It was a meeting that springboarded a new mindset. And this is the lesson that I learned from it. If you want something in life, then you absolutely have to go out there and fucking get it. It will never, ever, ever just land on your lap. The first step always starts with putting yourself out there and meeting other people. Trust me. Today's episode is sponsored by Fat Llama. Fat Llama is the fastest growing rental marketplace for stuff in the world. It's a website and app which allows people to rent out their belongings to others nearby, fully insured for cash. Fat Llama users are renting anything from film gear, projectors and PA systems to road bikes and camper vans. The platform is available throughout the UK and US and users are earning up to £3,700 per month. I've been using Fat Llama recently to rent out my podcast recording equipment and will undoubtedly make my initial investment back on the items in no time at all. I guarantee you all have considerable amounts of stuff lying around your house that is rarely or never used that could be rented out to others nearby for money. Guys, get it onto Fat Llama. For me, it's an absolute no-brainer. On the other side of the coin, how often have you needed something for a brief period of time and not purchased it due to the cost not warranting it? Well, Fat Llama provides the solution. If you head over to my website and click on the link on this episode, uh, you will uh, get £25 off of your first rental. Okay, guys, it's clearly laid out there for you. Guys, enjoy this episode. It's extremely, extremely, extremely insightful. Enjoy. Probably best for our listeners, if you just give us a little bit of uh, background on yourself and how you kind of entered into the field of influencer marketing would be a great place to start. Okay, cool. So I'm Harry Hugo. Uh, I'm 23. Um, I am the co-founder of The Go Agency. We're the leading uh, influencer marketing agency in Europe. Um, we have 55 staff here now. We've been going for two and a half years. Um, we're completely unfunded. Um, so we haven't had an investment. Uh, we've completely grown, not even through our own funding, but uh, through profit of campaigns and just growing naturally like that. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been a mad journey, really. We've, um, we've worked with some of the biggest clients in the world from Apple and Google to KFC and BBC Sport to British Airways. Like, we do some pretty cool stuff. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's, um, it's been mad. We, we started a company called Sport Lobster, 
Um, that's yeah, I've read somewhere that you, you started your first job at 16. Was yeah, for my first business at 16. What, so was, was, that, a, what was that? It's called Fresh Press. It was, um, it was and it still is, a um, football blogging okay. uh, network um, where I kind of realized, well, I wanted to be a journalist. That was my f- fundamental style. I wanted to be a sports journalist. I wanted to, want to write about football. That's, that's what I really wanted to do when I was sort of 15, 16. And I thought, okay, well, the best way to, to do that is to be, uh, you know, I, I, was quite, I was quite literate. Um, I, I could write pretty well and I was pretty well informed on the football scene. Um, so what I did was I wanted to go and talk to the Bournemouth Echo and wanted to shadow a, a journalist at the Bournemouth Echo, um, which is my local paper. I wanted to, they, they were in League One at that time, maybe even League Two. Um, and I thought, okay, well, that, that would just allow me to, maybe just follow them around the stadium when they would uh, on a match day, seeing what they do on a match day, just so I can get a flavor of, of what's to come. Uh, and they didn't allow me to do it cause I wasn't 18 and I went, fuck you. Um, <laughs> Brilliant. why, why does that make a difference? Like, I'm talented enough or well, in my head, my, the massive egotistical 16 year old head. It's like, I can good enough. I can, I'm as good as you. Why does it make any difference how old I am? Um, and so that night I, I went home and I went, why don't I just, do this myself why do i want to be why do i want to work for the bournemouth echo that maybe has like two thousand readers a, uh, a day uh, on the website when i can build a website and drive severe amount of traffic to it um because at that point i was so i'm a liverpool fan um and i was engaging on these communities every night on twitter of all the liverpool fans across the world um and building a, 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 what now seems really uh meager but at the time was a decent follower base and also being friendly with all the different people who had large followings on 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 twitter about liverpool and i kind of realized that if i set up a website about liverpool and got all these people to contribute i could drive a lot of traffic there and that was kind of the original idea is like okay can i get all these people who have a voice in the community and have the audience of that community to then create a website with me and then drive traffic to that website and create this this larger community, this almost sort of super group. Um, and we we launched in, oh god, maybe February twenty thirteen, maybe twenty twelve. That, that long ago? No, it wasn't. Well, I was twenty three. <laughs> that's amazing. I, um, I had no idea. Then maybe twenty twelve. Twenty twelve. And then um, it it popped that night, and I was like, wow, this is yeah. crazy. The power the power that we can do just by bringing powerful people online together no one who like they're just like fans mm. but they had 10,000 followers mm. and uh within a month we became top five Liverpool websites globally um then we launched a podcast um which was just me 17 year old me it sat like this in front of a microphone um on my computer i i had never met any of my podcast guests in my life including the people i co-hosted with um i realized that the opportunity in podcasting at that point in the very early days of podcasting was being able to do a podcast that wasn't just about uh, or wasn't just made up of people that sat in the same room like we are here. It was about how can I get the most interesting people across the world talking about this one topic, Liverpool, um, and make the audio quality as good as possible. So I bought the best Skype recorder possible and I just interview people on Skype as if we were in the same room. But I, was a first, I think we were the first people to do it. Amazing. Um, all the age of 17. Yeah, and I was like sat in my room and we got 30,000 listeners a week. That is absolutely mental. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't believe it. Um, and, and the problem was back then, podcast, you couldn't monetize it at all. Um, 
people didn't really understand it. People weren't really understanding the audience data on uh, online anyway, and let alone podcasting and audio. Um, so I had this huge listenership, um, but we couldn't actually do anything with it. And that's when Aaron got in touch with me. Um, he was the co-founder of Sport Lobster. So yeah, so this is the next step. Yeah, yeah. Sports so he was Lobster. co-founder of Sport Lobster, which if you don't know, is a sports social network. Um, that was in 2013 when we'd kind of done this huge opportunity. The, the, the thing that massively spiked the uh, uh, the growth of the podcast was um, interviewing journalists who had the inside track on transfers during transfer window. Normally podcasts about football go down in the transfer window because there's less to talk about other than the transfers. But I went, well, hold on. If I just get people who know what's going on in the transfers to talk, because I had that ability with the Skype, Amazing. right? I didn't have to go meet them. I could sure. just call them for half an hour and they could just tell me everything about what's going on in the transfers. What people now go mad for on Twitter, I could just get invoiced and people could listen to it. Wow, this is amazing. So that massively spiked it. And yeah, Aaron came to me and said, I want to advertise on your fan channel. And I went, all right, this sounds great. I was a sick form student, had no money. I wasn't monetizing this at all. And I went, if you can pay my £15 uh, a month um, podcast hosting subscription, then I'll do whatever you want. Whatever you want. I had no money. Um, and this was becoming a real burden, this £15 a month. Wow. So it's the best deal ever uh, in marketing. Him. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Best deal in history. 30,000 <laughs> 30, engaged Liverpool fans uh, being advertised to on a sports social network for £15 a month. CPM there is outrageous. Um, and that kind of uh, started our relationship, really. And and from there, I met up with Aaron um, in London Bridge. I remember it pretty well. And talked about what Sport Lobster was going to be. And I wanted... So it didn't exist at this point? Uh, it, it, no, it, it wasn't live. No, it was it just live. so it was a, like a beta version. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was four of them in a room in London Bridge. And um, they'd raised some very... Mm, half a million pounds or something in, in seed capital. And I went to, to talk to them about what they were trying to do and how I could help. At this point, I'd grown my Liverpool fan site to now have an Arsenal fan site as well. A separate website to a Chelsea and Manchester United. So I started to grow this network and understand the ability to grow these online communities uh, around people that had large followings online uh, without really knowing what the, the impact was other than seeing spikes in traffic and listenership. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and having talked with Aaron, I really understood what they were doing and what they were trying to achieve with Sport Lobster, which has become basically the Facebook for sport. And this was in 2013, and, and I was picking up my sick form a-level results in the August of that year. Um, I properly flunked my A-levels because I was, uh, the last six months of it, I was just sat. So the the reason I flunked my A-levels really was um, they, for the last year of A-levels, you were allowed to bring your laptop into lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the first three months, I just coded um, <laughs> websites and uh, wrote football articles. Um, didn't do any work. Because I was I honestly became so powerful in that community mm. that I could just drive like 100,000 clicks to a website like straight away. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. And, and obviously at 17, 18, so much when you can exciting. do that, right? So much more exciting of when course. you're seeing Google Analytics tick along in live and you go, bang, there's the link. Yeah. Goes live on Twitter or Facebook and you see thousands of people flock to your website like wow like the buzz of that and i suppose the buzz of social media in general is the retweets and see the live kind of interaction 
Um, and I was absolutely buzzing off it. I can imagine. Uh, then every teacher other than my sociology teacher banned me from using my laptop because I wasn't doing any work, rightly so. Um, and my sociology teacher took me aside and went, I know what you're doing, um, but I know you're smart. So what I'm going to do is, if you can bring two laptops to the lesson and you can, you can write notes, but you can also do this, then I'll excuse it. And I went... <laughs> That's brilliant. I bought another laptop, <laughs> and I went perfect. I'm gonna I'm gonna do that. I can I can take notes. Um, I'll record the whole lesson audio, so then I can use it afterwards. But during the day, this was the time when no one else was taking advantage of it. Because again, all the people that were big online were kids, people in school, people at uni. Like they weren't taking advantage of the daytime, and I was because I was, of course, flunking school. Of course. Um, so I recorded the lessons and coded the websites on the side, and. Uh, and I did really well, and, and that's kind of, yeah, the sport, and flicking back to the sport lobster story, um, when I got to my A-level results, I literally picked them up on, and at nine o'clock. I was the first person to pick them up at my school, and I literally got straight on the train to London to meet Aaron for my final interview for the job. Uh, I took with me uh, a 55-slide PowerPoint, um, which all that it had was, was where the company was going wrong and what he told me was wrong. That was it. It was just completely lambasting the company that, that he set up. Um, <laughs> How did that go down? Fantastic. I got the job. <laughs> Obviously. Um, I got the job, um, which is great. And I remember sitting in Waterloo, waiting for my train going back. And there's the bar up by the, the top, the wine bar, um, by Platform One. And I sat there with a, a pint of Peroni um, and my laptop thinking, fuck, this is it. This is the start of my life. Like, because I had unconditional offers from two universities that I wanted to go to to mm. do journalism because of, not because of my results, my results were shit, mm. but my, what I'd achieved at that point through the blogging and the, and, and the journalism connections that I had, impressive. I literally had every football journalist mm. number and they would reply to me because again, they wanted to know me as much as I wanted to know them. So it was great. And I could, I could walk, I could have walked into a journalism course and absolutely blasted out of the park, but I really didn't want to do it. I didn't want to go for another three years of learning. And you'd already set the ball in motion. So yeah, exactly. And I, I got that buzz. I got that entrepreneurial yeah. bug where I do something and I see a result. Yeah, and I was I mean, like, wow, this that, is that's so a question cool. I actually wanted to ask you. Have you always had that entrepreneurial spirit from a young age? Yeah, I've got the I've got that kind of cliche story where I used to sell sweets. Um, <laughs> uh, so it was a weird, it was only over on Wednesdays and Fridays because that's when my my mum wouldn't allow me to do it. So I when I got allowed, uh, when uh, my best mate's mum dropped me at school, which was those two days, um, I she dropped me in a different place to my mum, and the place that she dropped me, uh, I had to walk past a McColls like a uh, off license mm-hmm. um, to get to school, like a three minute walk. Uh, and I just went to McColl's. McColl's got a fantastic sweet selection. Uh, big up to McColl's. Uh, <laughs> big and, up to McColl's. <laughs> and um, the funny thing about that uh, is they they sell like sticks of chewets, but they had like amazing deals on. So if you bought four sticks of chewets, mm. um, it was like a quid. And that when you, the stick of chewets is like eight chewets each, and that's that's a shitload of chewets for a quid. <laughs> and I'm like fucking hell. Okay, well, what if I just break them up? So I started by selling individual packs. Um, like the the tubes for, so I was buying them at twenty five p. I was I was selling them each for a quid, for that's good margin. Um, and then I really worked out the way the value was is selling half a stick 
for 60p because people don't want <laughs> eight or ten they want three or four and then they're, they're happy they've had their like little snack they've had their fix so I'd, I'd sell half a stick per person or some people oh I have half a stick of black currant I have half a stick of strawberry perfect <laughs> and I'm mixing and matching so yeah I, I did have so it's clear that you've had an entrepreneurial spirit yeah, yeah. I did I, like, I wasn't making a fortune but I was making I, I was enjoying that I was also working at my dad's restaurant uh, in the kitchen, I was so I love making money. I was the richest kid at school, not because my parents were well off, which they definitely weren't, um, but it's because I, I had a, a genuine interest in making money. Um, the drive was there, yeah, not and not not for the money. Why do you think that was? Out of curiosity, I, I don't know. I mean, I always watch my dad make money. I suppose through mm. business and, yeah. and restaurant. I grew I grew up in pubs. Um, literally lived above pubs from the age of god knows my mum will kill me when she listens to this and realise I don't have a clue when how I was brought up uh, maybe six seven mm. I, I was I was living in above pubs so I, I, I during my formative years I was I was seeing that transaction of money for service very early on awesome every day um, and I was also interestingly and I think is a big part of my personality and my my uh, confidence i suppose amongst lots of different types of people is i grew up around adults i had as many adult friends as i had kid friends because again i lived in a pub of which the locals were my friends because they had to be friendly with me because they wanted free pints for my dad but at the same time i was around all the time and therefore i wanted to be friends with them and they were the people my parents were talking to your social skills were put into action from early age very early age and i was having much higher level conversations than any 10 year old should be having because i was having conversations about things that people talk about in the pub probably the best gift your parents could have probably given you actually Uh, no doubt about it and i'm incredibly thankful for that Mm. um and okay let's go back to sport so yeah I, i joined in 2013 august um and I never really looked back. I think that was that was a point, yeah, that, that Peroni moment at Waterloo. Where I went, Jesus, this this is my life now because I haven't chosen university. I've chosen to go straight into work and I've go not even chosen straight to go to work in Bournemouth. I've I've I'm now going to work in London. This is really scary. I don't have any mates in London. Um I have literally nothing. Um but I'm and I'm also only going to work for a company that literally has never made any pe- never made a penny in revenue. Um, and I'm going on a risk. Massive risk. Huge risk. Um, best risk I've ever taken by a long distance. But in the grand scheme of things, mm. you know, I was taking a, a one to a hundred shot. Sure. Like in sure. a startup, maybe more, one to a thousand. Sure. Well, talk us through the development of Sport Lobster and, and the, you know. Really yeah, it was happened. a great, it was a great. How, how long was the period you were there? Uh, I was there for two years. Um, Crazy two years. Mental two years. Really? Talk us um, about it. Best, I mean, obviously what we've done here at Go at two and a half years, I think it's because I'm a bit older. Um, Loads of mistakes made in those two years? The biggest mistakes but, you can possibly make. But probably the best thing that's landed. That is, that's what I mean. Like, yeah. Yeah. I learned so much so quickly because I needed to, mm. um, because there was so much money swinging around. Um, and and that's a, that's a big part of that, I think. Um, and we had 17 million quid uh, and, you know, the important stuff had to be made quickly. The important decisions had to be made quickly. And we had to do things at all times in order to, uh, you know, 
appease investors and drive users and we had to problem solve all the time in order to to make these things happen um you know i was writing for tweets for cristiano ronaldo's 140 million audience when i was 18 19 um i was sitting courtside at the nba i was sitting i I went to every single england match um and uh wembley match in a box because people wanted to take me because i was sport lobster and i was one of the main guys there uh i was one of i was in the first five uh and i left when there was 75 um we grew that company from ten thousand users to two and a half million in that two years it was awesome yeah um and that's where i met nick and aaron right and that's the that's the biggest gift that company gave me um alongside the 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 realization of making those mistakes and that's there's very few companies you can make that many mistakes in um and survive um and very few companies in the startup world that make that many mistakes and survive and i think a testament to uh the character of the team and actually the talent of the team in general comes down to the fact that we made so many mistakes mm-hmm. and we bounced back so quickly. And but from those mistakes, you realized what obviously was working. Of course. Yeah. And, and that was, that was incredibly powerful. And that's kind of what formed goat, right? So we, Brilliant. we, uh, spending so much money on marketing to get users, um, in, uh, TV, radio, uh, programmatic paid social like facebook ads things like that um billboards sponsorships of the nba nfl um like we did everything um and the thing that worked better than anything else was um using um social media influencers like in those days it was twitter and facebook only uh, and it was just like Real Madrid fan pages and Chelsea fan pages. And at, at this point, can I just just stop you? Just for, for our listeners, could you just give you, us your definition of what influencer marketing is? Because obviously you're going to go and talk about Goat and what you guys yeah, do. Yeah, So influencer marketing is like old school product placement, I suppose, in the very, very crux of it. Um, we effectively link influencers, so people that we define uh, that have a large, engaged social media following that you uh, wouldn't otherwise know unless you follow them. Um so we use those guys across YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Musical.ly, um, all these different platforms, Snapchat, uh, to talk about products, to send them on experiences sponsored by products, create branded content, sponsored content, um, and to get these products heard, seen, downloaded, clicked through, um, bought, whatever it is, um, that KPI is for the, for the end user. But yeah, that's our, that's our, that's the crux of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, it's advertising. It's a new, just a new form of advertising, sure. new media stream. Um, just as TV was when it came out, just as um, social media was when it came out, the internet was when it came out, Google search. You know, it's the same thing. It's just just a new invention within that. Uh, a, a new phenomenon, really, of people having these huge social audiences that they can make the most of. Um, but yeah, so that, that that's kind of what led us to go, really. It was like we realized that influencers... We're driving the most value out of all the media channels that we were investing money into. Um, and it was not even close. Like, really? Um, we were paying Cristiano Ronaldo as our headline ambassador. But when he tweeted, it was great and we sent a lot of traffic. But when, like, an Indian uh, cricket fan page on Facebook posted, it would send like 10 times the traffic. And it was, wow, like, a thousand times cheaper. So. We're like, wow, this is eye-opening. Then 
we looked for solutions. We want to obviously set a lobster at that point. Um, we looked for solutions uh, to replicate what we were doing in-house with influencers for agencies outside of what we were doing and can other other agencies that were doing what we were doing internally and there was or they what they prefer what they professed to be and uh we got them in and we we got them to do campaigns and it just didn't work and we're like right there's there's an opportunity here not only do we know this works but we also know that people that say they can do it can't do it and also the, the fact that not all influencers do work um and we've kind of crucked we got to the crux of that and we've got all the data on all these different influencers how they convert how they can drive apps installs how they can drive registrations how many impressions convert to an engagement convert to a click convert to, an, uh, to a registration like we knew everything and we recorded everything Amazing. here um and we're like wow this is incredible uh, we had like a network of 30 million uh football fans at that point and we're like okay well this is the opportunity if we can send two and a half million people to a product that isn't that great. And I think everyone that, that works at Sport Lobster can can hold their hands up and said, when we left, yeah. the product wasn't where we wanted it to be. And as a marketing department, we were way ahead of the product team. Um, and that comes with most startups, to be honest. Like well, As soon as you turn it on and you need to because you get investor pressure to, to get it going, mm. um, the product always lags behind maybe where the uh, the marketing is or where the marketing needs to be. Sure. Um, and yeah, that's that's kind of when we made the decision. In, and then Goat was born. Yeah, August 2015. Um, you, Aaron, and Nick, I believe. Me, Aaron, and Nick left Sport Lobster together. Aaron, the co-founder, left. Um, Nick, head of marketing at that point. Um, and yeah, me, head of social. Um, we started this journey. Yeah, and it's, uh, yeah, it's been fun. It's been fun. Yeah, no, I thought it was two, you mentioned two and a half years, that, that's right. Yeah, yeah, but two, yeah, yeah, two, two, two years, eight and, months. And now. you also mentioned that you work with some seriously prestigious companies. I, I mean, I know because obviously Tom Julius, a good friend of mine, he, he works here. You guys work with like Formula E. I mean, yeah. Apple, UEFA, like all these amazing yeah. brands. Question I have that, that intrigue, intrigues me. How do you pick uh, influencers for certain brands? What's the kind of process behind that? I mean, yeah. it, it can't just be as simple as, oh, yeah, we'll just put that influence with that company. I, you guys are so attention to detail orientated. There must yeah. be a logic behind it. There is a lot of logic. There's a lot of data. Um, and that's all, that's our main focus really. Um, it's all about predicting the outcome before the outcome happens via data and evidence we've got based on previous campaigns and previous use of those influences, um, based on previous mechanics that have worked. So we have a database, um, our custom CRM that we have all our, uh, influences and all our influencer data in. Sure. Um, and then we can trawl through that and go, okay, this is uh, what we're trying to achieve with this brand. This is what we've promised is maybe it's traffic to uh, a football website, right? It's most, very most, well, let's, let's, let's take it out of football. Let's say it's um, traffic to a Malibu competition, right? Which is the drink brand um, on their landing page, malibu.com. And we look at, okay, all the lifestyle influencers who are over 25, because they have to be over 25 in order to promote an alcohol product online. Um, we then look at uh, their previous data uh, about sending traffic, so their cost per click on Instagram stories, maybe Snapchat stories, uh, Instagram, LinkedIn bio, Facebook, Twitter. And then we find the people who uh, produce uh, historically, uh, according to data, um, a better cost per click than what we what we what we're selling to the client for, right? It's a very mm -hmm. basic arbitrage. What we're trying to achieve, 
Um, and then we map the data that we have, the known values of the influences we have got uh, data on because we've worked with them before. And then we map that to similar influences that are uh, unused by us so far. Uh, and then we can make uh, estimations. And what's different with us here compared to anyone else in the market is we have so much data and this comes obviously back to understanding the data and the necessity for data at Sport Lobster, is that we have so much data that we can guarantee results. Um, so before a brand even presses the green light and signs the contract, they know exactly what's going to come out of the end, or they don't pay us. Simple as that. Really? Yeah. That's epic. Yeah, so we're the only... Is that a USP? I, mean, I suppose it is a USP. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure people will, will look to, to do this. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, of, of course, people can try but yeah. it's just a liability right we're playing the betting game um, ourselves where we know 99.9999999 times out of 100 we will win mm. um and uh and we've out of the you know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of campaigns we've done we've only lost twice mm. um and more through naivety than uh and that was kind of us going into new verticals too early and we haven't lost for 18 months wow. um that's but, amazing yeah and, and and guarantees is a is a kind of i don't know it, it can go both ways it can be quite a dirty word at the same time because people are like oh well it's fake if you can guarantee it's fake no no no, it's not it's just i'm i'm so confident we can do this mm. uh, at a better value than what you're currently doing mm. and i have the data to prove it because i did it for your competitor or i did it for you last week or i did it for uh something else completely unrelated but it's going to come out with similar results. Why not guarantee it? Awesome. Why not get that deal over the line quicker? And therefore our retention and our uh, our speed of signature for deals is so much faster than everyone else because why wouldn't you do it? Well, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I'm working in an industry, fit, fitness industry currently and it's, everything's, everything comes from the influencer. Like it's like yeah. F45. I mean, the, the, the bounce, the, the, positive results they've had from introducing you know, James Haskell, Paige Hathaway, um, all these massive influence has been incredible. It's now a worldwide brand. So I, I've seen it firsthand. And, and I actually read a, an article the other day that said that businesses making an average of £6.50, sorry, they're making an average of £6.50 for every $1 they spend on influence marketing. Mm. Does that sound accurate to you? That's, that's normally amazing results. Like, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I think that's low. Um, you think that's low? Yeah, I think um, I think it's great. Obviously, that's a fantastic return on investment. But I think if done really well, like, yeah. you can get way more than that. Um, Obviously, yeah. Wow. Uh, and I think that's the beauty of influencer marketing. And I, I suppose double-edged sword can also be its downfall. Like, you've got to get it right for it to work. Mm. Um, and if you don't, I think people, so the people who don't trust influencer marketing are people that have either done it badly or have had someone do it badly for them. Mm. Um, and that is, that is, that's a major obstacle for us in, in, in some instances because we're having to educate the audience, uh, educate the audience, the audience being the uh, brand to say, no, no, this is how we do it. This is why we can guarantee it. This is, you know, you're safe with us. We've done this before. We're not bandits. And I think, as per every new uh, channel, every every new opportunity, you're always going to get people in there for a fast buck. Mm. Um, we're not in it for a fast buck. Mm. We're, you know, if we were, we'd still be ten of us, right? And we'd be uh, hustling around and yeah. trying to, you know, we'd be our churn rate of you're clients would be, yeah, exactly. Our yeah. churn rate of clients would be absolutely huge. Yeah. Um, 
we're not in that we're not in the game for that we're in the game to to bring down the media companies um and to take those budgets the proper budgets you know we've never lost a pitch over a quarter of a million pounds um and we continue to get multi-million pound deals where the industry is still fighting and squabbling around uh 20k deals um we're so far ahead of those guys um that and i think that also comes from the fact that we're agency naive uh we've never none of the three of us so yeah none of the three of us uh, as founders or any of our senior leadership team have ever worked in an agency um but we're running a a multi multi million uh pound agency based on the principles of a product um and all we have based on the fact that we deliver guaranteed results is a product that we sell to brands that product changes all the time but we're just selling a product it's it's absolute right mm. um if you say yes and you want to buy this product you're going to get these results yeah. same as when you buy a chicken sandwich from tesco you know you're getting a chicken sandwich from tesco it's the same thing mm. with us if you buy three million video views on facebook for your video you're going to get at least three million video views same thing you know what you're going to get it's a product um whereas agencies traditionally haven't sold that they've sold estimations and touchy-feely stuff and we've kind of come into the market going well this is all bullshit mm. um they're saying what they're saying this is what you could get you're saying this is what you're gonna get yeah yeah, yeah exactly and why wouldn't you do it um Brilliant. and it blows everyone else out of the water really absolutely well this leads on to my next question i mean how big is influence marketing gonna go i think we're at one percent one percent uh, of of uh, total marketing spend. Right. Okay. Um, sorry, I, I shouldn't have paused yeah. there. <laughs> uh, I think we're at, I think we're at one percent of uh, of total marketing spend, uh, and I think we'll get to twenty to twenty two. So we we're what two? We've got about two and a half, two, just shy of two and a half thousand percent growth potential. That's absolutely insane. Why wouldn't we? Like, paid media cannot compete with the cost per view or cost per click or cost per engagement of influencers and all it's doing is selling the same thing okay. so why can't we take the that size of budget from from a company um that is spending money on on that they if they want engagement they're buying it through paid but we can deliver it at a better rate and more authentic and through the audience that actually matters yeah why wouldn't they do it i agree i agree i mean i absolutely agree i, I just thought, i've got a question just being devil's advocate here yeah um I've seen firsthand how how amazing influencer marketing is. Um, w- will it get to the point where influencers are obviously getting paid a good amount of money yep. to promote a product that people start to get a bit sceptical of what these influencers yep. are promoting? That's a good question. That, I'm intrigued. Yeah, yeah. My, my answer to that has always been the same. Even when we started and people weren't getting as paid as much money as, mm. as, it, as they are now, and they are getting paid a lot of money. Um, one, because their audiences are just level with TV audiences. Mm. Um, TV gets uh, paid a lot of money. Why aren't you skeptical of uh, a TV ad? Mm. Um, why is it any different if it's a, a YouTuber? Uh, but my, my answer is always the same. I'm a Liverpool fan. And if someone, doesn't matter who it is or how it is, markets me on a Friday night for free Liverpool tickets, competitions for free Liverpool tickets on a Saturday afternoon. I don't care if they're marketing it to me. I'm a Liverpool fan. I want to go to the game. Yeah. Um, marketing isn't... The people aren't sceptical of marketing if marketing is done to the right people. Mm. Um, people don't mind being advertised to. They really don't. 
they just have to be advertised to with the right stuff. The same thing as what you said about the gyms, right? And the fitness stuff. If you're marketing to fitness people sure. about something that's going to help them in the fitness regime or, or, or the fitness world, be it protein or whatever it is, they don't care. They want that. They want that. They want to find out about these new products. It's when you start flogging stuff that doesn't make a difference yeah. to their life. And, so and I start getting hit by car insurance ads. You know, I've just got a new car insurance. I don't, I don't need that. It's annoying. As soon as advertising becomes annoying, then it becomes ineffective. Um, and, and that's kind of the protection. The protection comes with the influencers not taking on stuff that sh they shouldn't. Mm. Um, but it also comes from the agencies and the brands not using influencers that they shouldn't. Yeah, and it, they've got to they've got to go after the audience that matters. And for me, again, it comes back to the Liverpool thing. If I was to advertise Liverpool tickets for free, I'd do whatever you want, mm. and I don't care if I have to sign up to a website in order to do it. Like I want that. I'm I'm happy to be advertised that at the right at the right point. Absolutely. But if I've just lost, if Liverpool just lost and it's Saturday night, yeah. don't advertise to me like that. Yeah, yeah. Same thing, right? It's just timing. It is. It's been a really fascinating conversation. It's one I really look forward to having. Um, you asked me a question actually before we started this is when do I start podcasting? Yeah, why? This is an interesting one. So basically the reason this podcast started was actually just simply because I wanted to add inspiration into people's life and, you know, in interview people like yourself who had a great journey and done amazing things i mean you're 23 years old you like you said you own a multi-million pound company it's an incredible story so I, I was um i was about two and a half years ago i was so lost in my life I, to the point where i was i was, I was a very depressive character because i just had no direction didn't know what i wanted to do yeah and this is a true story i actually came for an interview as well at uh at a goat agency with, really with nick yeah so God, this I could go anywhere. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, 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 the, it's the best thing that could happen to me. I was completely, I would never have hired me because I just had, I didn't have, I had, didn't have a clue. I, you know, right. I was just a mess. And what inspired me was the look on Nick's face when he was talking about what you guys were doing here. Cool. It was incredible. And Where I, were we? Which office was it? It was actually in a... Albert House, that one over there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I came out of that. And it, and it hit me hard because I was like, God, I just want what that guy has, the look on his face when he's doing something he absolutely loves. And that is actually what made me start the podcast. Right. And that's what has led to me owning... Oh, should have got, got Nick on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> owning, you know, I'm, I'm about to open... I'm about to start my dream, which is open a gym. I've wanted to do Amazing. that since I was 10 years old. So... I mean, that's one of the reasons I'm really looking forward to, to, to coming in and interviewing Right, amazing. Yeah, what a great rounded story that is. Yeah, no, it's honestly incredible. And, and you guys absolutely love what you do. And you're in this for the long haul because you're passionate about it at the end mm -hmm. of the day. Um, so yeah, that's a nice one to feel around. Nice, yeah, nice story. Last question. I, I want to, well, second last question. I, want to, I, I always ask these two questions to round up the interview. Okay, cool. I've just um, got, I've just got, so on my podcast that we've, uh, started recently, which yeah. is what's happening on uh, on iTunes. Um, we have we, I've just worked out what my last question is because I thought, was it? Yeah, I've, uh, I, I thought I've done, I did a few, and I thought, oh, I'm just, just not, not ending it in the same way. Like, how yeah. can I do this? And then I thought, okay. So my question is, what um, what do you do? Because I'm inter in interviewing uh, top level online entrepreneurs, sure. uh, people my age, similar, or people in top. Um, sort of digital jobs. Mm. Uh, what do you do when you're not working? Like, that's my thing. What do you do? How do you relax? Yeah. Um, so that, that, what, do you do to, what do you do to relax? I watch the most meaningless... Pointless. So interestingly, I, I'm, <laughs> I, 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 I watch meaningless YouTube. That's the under, under, 
current of it. Um, yeah. I watch sport. Um, I'm a massive football fan, um, but also a massive sport fan. But the the thing that really slows me down is is meaningless YouTube. Now, ever since the scandal, the Logan Paul scandal, I am obsessed with Logan Paul and his content. L- Logan. Logan Paul. So yeah, he's yeah. a huge um, American uh, daily vlogger uh, on YouTube. He's got 16 million subscribers, if you uh, haven't heard of him. Um, and he daily vlogs his life. And I'm fascinated by him. Um, he creates terrible content. But I find it's it so yeah, it's very entertaining, and yeah. I find it so it's not bad. I mean, it's it's very it's for the audience, but I find it so sort of it just happens in front of me mm. that I don't have to concentrate. I can drift in and out. Like I, I don't I don't have to think about off. it. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Yeah. So thanks, Logan. That's I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Logan. Um, well, well, my last question is: if you had a piece of advice for a young entrepreneur. Looking mm. to take the plunge into business, yeah, a little bit like that moment of you, you're sitting in that pub having a pint of Peroni. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. What would that one? If you just want one piece of advice to give that person, what would it be? What point in the uh, entrepreneurial Literally, life are they? They're thinking about taking the plunge. They've got an idea. They're, they're, they're you know, they've so the cl- so the cliche is um, just do it. Right, that's the cliche answer. Just just get on with it and do mm. it and see what happens. What, what you've got to lose. I don't I don't think that's really true. Uh, I think there's been a massive um, misrepresentation in the last two years about the fact that if you hustle and you work hard, then you get success. Mm. I don't think that's true. I think you've got to have a bit about you to mm. do it. I think you have to, it has to be a certain type of person. Not that I'm blowing my own trumpet there. I just like it's, 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 it's got to be really fucking. Talent. It's really fucking hard. Right. There's so many problems. There's so much to solve. It's, an, it's a roller coaster of emotions. Um, so yeah, w- would I? I would say to that person, "Are are you sure? Do you know what it actually takes to run a business? Like not the internet, not the financials, not the profit. No, don't worry about that. Like, you'll work that out. Like I, I knew nothing about that sort of stuff. Do you know what it actually takes emotionally and emotionally m- and mentally?" To, to have the pressure like we got like I said we're unfunded right mm. we've got 55 people in this office every single one of them relies on me mm. um, it's 55 different lives that are completely reliant on me Aaron and Nick performing at our best in order to make it happen um, we're a lucky position where these 55 people are also fucking great and allows me Aaron and Nick to live our lives reciprocally um, and that's amazing and it's a fantastic relationship that we have with our team um, but God, it's a burden, right? You know, this is a, this is a company that requires a lot of money just to stand still. Um, and once you get to that level, it's very, very difficult, but even at the smaller level, you know, it's, it's very, very hard and there's a lot of long hours and a lot of sacrifice. And when I was first started my company and I was working for Fresh Press as the CEO there, as well as, um, Sport Lobster. I was driving to Sport Lobster at 6am to get to London at 9 from Bournemouth. Um, and then I'd get, I'd leave the office at 6.30 uh, in Hammersmith and drive back to Bournemouth. I'd get home at 9.30, have dinner, and I'd work until 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning on, on Fresh Press. And I'd get up at 6 and drive. Um, wow. I had no social life. Wow. I had no social life for like two years. Um, my only social life was, was at work. My way of getting around that was to hire all my mates. So all my best, <laughs> all my best mates work for me at Goat. Um, I live with two guys that work at Goat as well. Yeah. 
Um, my social life and my work life is very collaborative. Um, but the and I've also very very early on in the in the company's growth where we're hiring like our, our personal network, I suppose, and it was very very successful in in the short term because it allowed us to to build that trust and loyalty very quickly in the culture that we have. Um, so yeah, my advice to that person would be: Are you sure? Do you know what it, Do you know what it takes? Run them through what it actually takes. Run them through the, you know, the the horrible situations and the fact that you can never win and you can never be right. And it doesn't matter how much you do. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much you give back. It doesn't matter. Like you'll never, you'll never please everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got to be willing to massively face rejection, massively face um, adversity. Got to be a problem solver. Got to let things not get you down. Um, yeah, I, I, I try and put them off it. Really, that's name. I, that that honestly, I think people that go, you should do it. It's great. It's going to be going to be great. You're going to make a success. No, no, no. You're, the likelihood is you're not. So don't build that person up to yeah. fail because that's worse. Give them the reality. Then if they're strong enough and go, yeah, I can do that. Then I'm confident there. They can. They can if they've even got a doubt in their mind off the back of me saying this is going to be really, really difficult and these are why and this is, you know, have you thought about when this happens and mm. what about when that happens? And then, they, you know, any part of their doubt at that point, they should go, Poof, this isn't for me. Like, it's okay to not be an entrepreneur. I think mm. it's been glamorized so much in the last couple of years that entrepreneur, to be an entrepreneur is success or to mm. run your own business is success. No, it's not. It's, it's to live a happy life is a success, right? Mm. Absolutely. Um, and you can live a happy, an incredibly wealthy, happy, rich life by working for other people. You don't have to run your own business to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not even what drives most people. You know, family and all that other stuff is important. Um, so, so yeah, my, my advice would be think about it. Um, you're probably wrong. This isn't the right time. This isn't the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, well, the statistics are crazy, right? It's like one in mm. a thousand startups get past the first year or something it's so be stupid sure. so be sure yeah gotta be sure and fair enough um i yeah, try and put them off and if and if they still are blind to the fact that they're going to succeed right for them. then they're right there you go because then they're entrepreneur they believe in themselves mm-hmm. they, they're, they're they defy all the risk they don't care about mm. the possible consequences and they they really go for are it. dedicated to making that work and then i'm like all right great love it brilliant Right, last question. What is going to happen in the next 12, 18 months ago? It's just going to keep oh. growing, keep growing, keep growing. What yeah. is any, anything short-term you can tell us? Yeah, Where can people follow you? I mean, talk to us about all Yeah, this I mean, stuff. so the podcast is a, is, a, is a good place to kind of keep up to date now. We're talking every week with different people, interesting people on, on, uh, on that. So that's what's happening um, on on the podcast uh, what's it called sorry just what's happening what's happening yeah so it's what uh, Twitter asks you before you uh, write a tweet um, <laughs> that's very smart and yeah what are we doing in the next 12 months we're, we're opening up our US office oh really um, New York so yeah New York Nick actually flies out um, to New York to inspire more uh, potential long term podcast uh, entrepreneurs <laughs> no I'm joking um, uh, in May so he's gone for six months in May um, so he'll launch New York office and then we've got Singapore office opening, we've got Amsterdam office opening, we've got Berlin office opening. Uh, we're moving office here cause we're out of space. Mm. Um, so we've got a new London headquarters being, uh, fitted out. Um, we'll be a minimum of a hundred people by the end of the year. Uh, we're currently at 55. We started the year on 
34. It's crazy March. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's mad. Um, and I don't know, the main thing for me is that we continue to enjoy it. Brilliant. Continue to live happy lives, like I said, and and, and change the industry. That's, that's our big goal. That would be my 18-month thing, right? We want to change, not the influence marketing industry. I've got no interest in doing that. We've done that. Um, we want to change the media and the advertising industry. That's... That's what we are setting out. That's our goal. Towards um, an end. Great line. Love it. Cool. I just want to say thank you so much once again for, for having well, for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time and yeah. hopefully catch up in the next 12, 18 months. Or yeah, well, that would be fun. When yeah. Look back on that quote, run that, that piece, <laughs> run that piece of audio and see how many ticks I've, uh, how many I've, I've, uh, I've done. But that'd be, that'd be great. That'd be brilliant. Yeah. Thanks very much. Cool. Thanks appreciate so that. much for having us. Cheers, bye.